Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton, your host. Today we have with us an old guest and then a brand new guest. So we welcome back Sean Denzer. He is one of our goddess bloggers and the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota. Welcome back, Sean. Thanks. Great to be back. And the newbie, for us at least, is Pastor Matt Richard. He is the pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, Matt. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you guys. So I read with great interest these, well, your post, Matt, and then your riff on it, Sean, on this Lutheran downgrade. So what prompted these posts and what exactly do you mean by Lutheran downgrade? Well, when it comes to the Lutheran downgrade, I've been trying to find a way to talk about um, mainly what I'm seeing in, in our Lutheran churches. Uh, what we end up doing is we end up seeing different pastors and as we relate to each other um, in, in conversation about theology and so forth, uh, I've been finding over the years uh, that individuals, we can talk about theology, we could say, well, we all agree upon these core doctrines, but then somewhere along the way, uh, there becomes a divide. Uh, there becomes a divide in not only in our theology and practice. And so I've been really trying to fish for a way of how to flesh this out in a very uh, respectful, a very um, you know, Eighth Commandment-ish way, I guess you would say. And so I've been, been actually some conversations with Sean about this, and we were talking about the catechism as kind of that uh, metric, as that uh, basis of what it, what it means to, have, uh, to be a Lutheran, uh, to be a Christian, um, our chief doctrines. And um, what I've been noticing over the years is uh, there's, a, there's a downgrade, there's a dismissal of the second half of the catechism with some individuals. And in fact, I mean, this is one of the reasons why um, I joined the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. I left a, a, a previous denomination where we had a strong emphasis on the first half of the catechism, uh, namely being the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. But I want to have a greater emphasis on the second half, which would be uh, baptism and you know absolution and communion. And so in order to have a greater emphasis on that, it was not necessarily in my theological tradition to do that. So uh, thus the reason for colloquizing and joining the Missouri Synod in order to accentuate that second half of the catechism. So you see this even now within the Missouri Synod. Do I get that correct? This Lutheran downgrade? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, this idea of this word downgrade, in fact, I, I stole it from, uh, from my, I have some, some good friends in the evangelical church. I have, a, I have a Baptist friend and he considers me his second favorite Lutheran that he knows. And, uh, and so I, I feel pretty proud to be considered the second favorite Lutheran in his book. But he was telling me about uh, Spurgeon uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, way back in the day, he used this idea uh, called the downgrade, which was a, which was a diminishing of the uh, theology uh, during uh, that time. 
um, in, in, in basically the Baptist circles. And so as he described it, I'm like, you know, that word downgrade is really a, a very fitting word where, where we omit, it's an omission of the second half of the, the catechism. And by omitting the second half, we're actually downgrading our theology because uh, we're taking our six chief parts and uh, we're getting rid of half of it, which are uh, just as important as the first half. So this reductionistic tendency, uh, and we know, Sean, lifelong LCMS Lutherans, that this kind of gospel reductionism or reductionistic tendency has always been with us. I mean, from the beginning, uh, just after Luther, even till this day, what do you think drives that tendency? It's interesting to call it gospel reductionism. We usually reserve that for those who who have kind of said we don't need to take anything in the Bible that's not strictly speaking the gospel. The rest of it's all up for grabs, you know. Certainly things that are seem contrary to science or nature, supernatural miracles, definitely things that are like law or convicting. But it's interesting to use the phrase gospel reductionism then for for this because as Lutherans we don't see it that way at all. Uh, as we're recording this, those videos from Whedon on the 10-Minute Bible Hour have kind of been circulating the internet and going viral, which is great. He's a wonderful speaker, uh, and he is really trying to drive that home to his Protestant interlocutor that um, we do not see the sacraments, the, the, the second of the three of the six chief parts. We don't see those as add-ons to the gospel. We don't see it as, you know, first there's a story of, you know, we're sinners, but Jesus came to rescue us and the Holy Spirit's here and now we are, we're Christians. We don't see that as as Christianity and then there may be some flavors that you add in, some spices that you put in after the fact, and that might be baptism or your particular spin on it. We see the baptism, we see the absolution, we see the Lord's Supper as the very gospel itself. Um, the only distinction to be made, if there is one, is one is about salvation being accomplished uh, and maybe, uh, you know, what we need to hear about the law with that, our situation when Christ accomplished the gospel or our situation even before Christ came to save us. Um, but uh, now we're talking about the delivery of his salvation, of the gospel to us each and every day in the word and in the sacraments. So this really raises a question for me, I think, about what is the goal of teaching the catechism then? If we have this kind of Lutheran downgrade, what is the goal for those who would use that downgrade? And what is the goal for those who would say, no, the chief parts of baptism, the office of the keys and absolution and the Lord's Supper are part and parcel of how we receive the gospel. What is the distinction in how catechesis itself is approached between those two, for lack of a better way of saying it, camps? What's brilliant about Matt's insight in this is it isn't something that really is different in catechesis. I don't think the pastors that Matt would identify as having a Lutheran down, a downgrade on Lutheranism, I don't think their catechesis looks a whole lot different. I think in class, we teach about all six parts. In, in class, you know, kind of in our academic setting, in our, hey, let's, let's get our minds wrapped around the facts on this. 
you know, we teach clearly about the law, clearly about the creed, what Christ has done, his person, his work, clearly about the Holy Spirit, you know, not decision theology, any of that stuff, and clearly about, you know, the sacramental nature of baptism, the, um, you know, the, the, the means of grace uh, and, and, you know, the Lord's Supper, the, the presence of the body and blood of Christ truly matters. And uh, I think all of the teaching is there in that kind of classroom level. And I don't think any of these pastors hold a different teaching on that, at least in theory. But when it comes to the actual implications of life in the church, when it comes to their preaching, when it comes to the way they either receive or especially don't receive the liturgical service uh, of our heritage, that's where it shows up. And the thing that gets left out maybe isn't the commandments, maybe isn't the creed. I I certainly don't think many Lutheran churches omit the Lord's prayer or or prayer based on Luther's explanation. But what, what is lacking is the sacraments or, or with regard to the fifth part, that's kind of in question, the word of God as an active thing, as opposed to the word of God as a, here you go, here's some information, or what are you going to do to act on it? And, and that's where it's very subtle. You know, they never come out and say, are you going to make a decision for Jesus? But they do present the word of God as if it's an inanimate object that needs us to act on it. And that's why the sacraments are kind of, I mean, these are the that much farther removed inanimate objects that, you know, takes a lot of effort to move those. So maybe we save that for later. Matthew, do you have anything to add or jump on? Well, I, I think Sean is 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 definitely hitting the nail on the head, and and I think the way that we want to think about this is is it's so easy for us to jump to you know the heretic card. I mean, we we, we just run to that, and I, and I think that's what what Sean was mentioning. I think that's the insight on the six chief parts. Uh, we have to be careful that we don't run to the the issue of saying, oh, you know, you're heretical. Well, no, we have many. Many uh, individuals that are other pastors, different churches, um, even other denominations where uh, they would hold to the six chief parts. And so it's not a denial of baptism or absolution or communion. It's the absence of those in the practice and the preaching and the teaching. And so that is where that word downgrade comes from. We're downgrading that second half. And so then, again, it, it's not an issue of, of a denial. It's not an issue of a rejection of that second half. It's It's the failure to implement a failure to embrace uh, that second half as uh, part of the whole catechism as chief parts. And, and Sean mentioned this earlier, and I think that, that this is kind of the gist of the article that I wrote. Uh, what happens is that the first half of the catechism, we see those as our common Christian faith. And so if you go visit with a Baptist, in fact, I did this before I wrote the article. I went back to that Baptist friend and I said, you know, let's talk about the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, Lord's Prayer. Do you agree with those? And he's like, yeah, you know, except for the numbering of the Ten Commandments, we number them a little bit differently than you and we don't embrace icons and so forth. Uh, but he said, for the most part, yeah, we're, we're, we're right on. And I said, well, let's talk about baptism, absolution, and communion. And especially those played out in the divine service. And then right away, we parted different ways, you know, different views of baptism, uh, different view of communion, and definitely the divine service, how we practice those in the service and the emphasis of those in the service. And so we saw a, a great parting on that. And so what happens is this, we rightly see uh, a division between the first half of the catechism and the second half, that the first half is that common uh, Christian faith, uh, that common core uh, that we have. And then we look at baptism, absolution, and communion. That is going to be the sacramental focus. 
And what happens is that is that some pastors will, in their mind, when they make that division between the first half and the second half, they look at the second half as, you know, an appendix or uh, maybe our Lutheran distinctives that can be mentioned later on. And so they're demoted to a footnote, uh, if you will. And, and, and that's where the downgrade happens, where um, I would say that all six chief parts are indeed important, but the first half needs to be established first before we can teach the second half. So in other words, we want to know the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer first, and have that taught first to our catechesis classes and new members before we go to baptism, absolution, and communion. So we need those first three as a foundation for the second half. Now, the second half, even though it, it flows out of that foundation, it doesn't mean that they're less important or an appendix that can be taught later, uh, whereas some pastors will treat them uh, in such fashion. And Sean, your blog post kind of takes it it seems to me one step further, which is to say, not only have we had sort of this downgrade with regard to baptism, the office of the keys, confession, absolution, and the Lord's Supper, but we've even chopped off the table of duties, daily prayers, and how one should be taught to examine himself in the Christian questions and their answers. Yeah, you know, before I get to my article, I just wanted to add something into what Pastor Richard was saying. Um, uh, he, in this common core idea, and the idea, and then the question of whether the next three parts are are continuing in that, or or if they're just an appendix, I would bet. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but I bet your Baptist really disagrees with the third article of the Creed if he looks at Luther's explanation, right? Yeah, I mean that, that that's the you know. Definitely from a sense of the decision theology and so forth. Yeah, that would be uh, definitely a sticking point. Does he really see the church as the place where daily forgiveness of sins is is given out? Um, I don't know. I'm asking you to speak for him. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. It, it, again, some of the categories that we have and the way that we understand things um, going to be understanding at a different perspective. Um, now, my Baptist friend tends to lean more towards the Calvinistic Baptist side. So there's a sense where... Uh, he does get bondage of the will and so forth, but that, but the fact of the matter is, you know, speaking of a Baptist or an evangelical in general, uh, a Baptist or evangelical in general are going to they're going to embrace the first three parts, um, uh, generally speaking. But again, that that third part of the Apostles' Creed, um, you know, th there's going to be a rub right there, definitely, most certainly. You know, there's a way in which we can see even the third article, the Creed, as an appendix on the on the creed itself some people have tried to say the holy spirit's an appendix on the trinity which is a which is that is entering into the realm of heresy but but there's also a way it just plays out it's like well here's the part where we toss in all the other things we believe in too i mean we believe in the church and we believe in you know baptism and i don't know end times too better mention that and amen you know we don't have time to say everything and that is not at all how Lutherans understand it. I mean, we have a Holy Spirit who creates this holy Christian church. That's what he does. He calls and he gathers Christians. And, and, the, and this is a communion of saints. How do you get a saint? They're, they're sinners who are forgiven. And, and that's why they have the expectation of the resurrection, not just, you know, and that's just eternal life disembodied, but, but a resurrection of the body, just like Christ has. That, of course, the, the life of the church, which is the Holy Spirit at work delivering Christ all the time, this is where the sacraments are in the first three parts. That's why it's not an appendix. It's a further explication of this life of the church shown 
in the third part of the of the of the creed uh and that's the part i think that matt really drew out well that that you end up missing and i think it's wonderful then to consider the other three parts the, the other not, brings us to a full nine i would definitely say they're not chief parts six chief parts is a fine abbreviation but it is these are starting to be some of my favorites as a pastor because they're certainly the ones i've to my shame neglected uh but they are marvelous in in taking the practical look the sacraments are already hitting the road even more this is not just what do you believe about god let's talk about some theology or academic exercise you know now suddenly god is coming to us in these sacraments absolution i'm gonna the pastor's gonna be saying something he's gonna be preaching to me and uh and i'm gonna be receiving the lord's supper baptism is a whole life and uh, the the last three parts are definitely focused on that. You have the table of duties, which maybe is a, a reprise of the law of the Ten Commandments, but it's focused especially at showing us our stations in life. So that it, as we consider, you know, think about in the fifth part, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. That's how you know your sin. It's also where you know what truly is a good work. The third use of the law is is to show us what a good work is and prevent us from falling into all sorts of fake works, which we're really good at inventing. So, I mean, there you go. Now you have our doctrine being played out in life, which sometimes is an accusation against Lutheranism and a temptation for us to look at other church bodies. Well, they care about the Christian life and Lutherans don't. That's a lie. But you might believe that lie if you didn't have the table of duties front and center and in your mind. Daily prayers. This is Luther's genius of bringing the monastery back where it originally was in the Christian community. The daily offices aren't originally part of the monastery. They become that, but they belong to the whole Christian church. They are daily prayers of the church gathered together. Here we're back with that again now. Each family now becomes the place where daily prayers are offered, where priests are offering their spiritual sacrifices, as the New Testament talks about it. And the Christian questions and their answers, I don't know. It would be a fascinating experiment, I suppose, to treat these like our, uh, you know, our evangelism program or our uh, sinner's prayer. But but it really does kind of lay out the order of salvation in a sense. It talks about, you know, do you believe you're a sinner? How do you learn this from God's word? That's a disclosure from the Holy Spirit. Uh, but nevertheless, we have a hope that is outside of the law, uh, Jesus Christ. And quickly it goes into the life of living from those sacraments, which again, if you're downgrading Lutheranism, uh, you've left those things out and you would look at the Christian questions and answers and say, well, this is ridiculous. I could see where we need to know about sin and maybe about Jesus, maybe a little bit about the Trinity, but now all these questions about the Lord's Supper going on and on, what a waste of time. Uh, but even the introduction to that that part, the Christian questions and answers, tells us about the whole life that is envisioned of of a christian that we intend to go to the sacrament we've been instructed in ten commandments the creed the lord's prayer as well as these other uh, uh the further explication in the sacraments and we've we've confessed our sins and we are still looking for forgiveness um it, these are marvelously practical parts of the catechism and for those of uh, of us who've fallen into the temptation of thinking Lutheranism is somehow impractical, I, I think it's because we've actually just forgotten the catechism. Now, you mentioned, Sean, and Matt, you can jump in on this whenever. You mentioned the videos with Whedon. And, you know, one of the things that 
the man who was interviewing Whedon had said is that the way in which Lutherans, at least in his experience with Will Whedon, present the gospel as sort of labyrinth-like. But what I hear you saying, and really both of you, that it's really not as labyrinth-like if you see it in terms of these three, six, nine parts of Christian teaching, that perhaps the end goal is to be able to answer those Christian questions. The end goal is to be able to examine yourself in that same manner. I think this is an ironic accusation for me to make because that is usually the kind of thing I hear others say about Lutherans. But if our goal is to make disciples rather than just convert members, then the word isn't labyrinthine. It, it, the, the word is abiding. Um, yeah, we can say a simple thing. We can tell you what it means to be a Christian. We can we could tell you how to get on board. Uh, I think Whedon did a marvelous job with that when he said our basic answer is like uh, Andrew to Peter and uh, and everybody to Nathaniel, right? Come and see. That's all it takes. Uh, uh, come follow me. That's that's a fine way to say it. But um, but Jesus said, abide in my word, right? He said, anyone who's ashamed of me and my words in this crooked generation, right? I'll be ashamed of them on the last day. We we actually are interested in making disciples, lifelong Christian hearers of God's word that are always living on the receiving end of God's gifts, that are learning about themselves, not just that, you know, like the world says, well, nobody's perfect. No, the Ten Commandments disclose a, a tremendous problem that no one can rescue us from. Uh, only Christ himself, true God and true man, can do that. Um it's not that uh, in Whedon's videos, I don't think he was being that labyrinthine. It's hard when you come and say, I want to, I want you to go deep dive with me and ask, answer my questions. And then when the guy answers your questions, then you say, well, that was a little too much. You know, you're really complicated. I, I think I, I want to say Matt was a very good faith guy, but uh, uh, I think he got what he asked for. Right. And, and the whole life of a Christian is more, it's always more. Nobody has to get everything down on the front end. That That's treating the scriptures and the word of God and God himself as if he's an inanimate object that we're going to just handle. You know, let's just handle this today and then we'll move on with some, you know, the real work that I have to handle. This is all human centered as opposed to where God is going to constantly going to be disclosing this. And that's the way Jesus presents it, right? That 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 we're abiding in his word. We're truly his disciples. We never move on from being a disciple to disciple others. What a what a total destruction of what the word means. It means that he's always the master. He's always the Lord, the Savior, who's rescuing us and who's keeping us in him. And the catechism opens us up into a marvelous life. It's laid out quite simply. I think you have a great pattern for like the super simple answer is given in those Christian questions and their answers. Or you might just even say, as many have, you have the law of God, which shows us our condition. You have the story of salvation, even from the creation of the world in the creed. And uh, and the next thing to do is ask the Lord for everything because because he's good for it. That's, that's faith. Um, and to live and to receive and find the answers to everything that we need in the Lord's gifts, which we have in the six parts. Uh, so, yeah, the catechism is definitely the starting point. It's our tract du jour. It's our tract extraordinaire. But um, 
But the, but the point of the catechism is to always bring us deeper, to bring us into the word of God, which is, yes, the message can be summed up very simply, but the goal is not to get information down and move on. The goal is to live in this word. And, and thanks be to God, the Holy Scriptures and God's word is so rich that you can enjoy and, and delight in a whole lifetime of, of studying it and, and of growing in it and of finding out new ins, new and great. Let me behold wonderful things from your law, David says in the Psalms. That, that's the constant experience of the person who's, who's engaged in the scriptures or in the liturgy or in the life of, of Christianity. You're abiding in the Lord's word and, and it, the setting free never stops. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, you mentioned that this wasn't, or this downgrade didn't happen out of malice or out of a rejection of anything, but sort of as a sin of omission. How do you think, or what accounts for us getting to that point, and what is the way back? Yeah, good question. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to just bounce back real quickly here just to what uh, Sean said here sure and and, and and just to add a little little insight here uh, with with a comment before um, I I recently heard in the last couple of weeks a sermon from unfortunately it was a Lutheran pastor and he said something to the effect about you know uh, as as the congregation lives this Christian life and as the pastor lives this Christian life then then great things are gonna happen and and I thought to myself okay uh, define that you know, uh, what does it mean to to live this Christian life? I mean, that's 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 a a very broad statement. And then, and then, what great things? What 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 great things are going to happen? And and how is it going to happen? And and so you talk about things being complex. Uh, that's a very clicheish, a very simple Christian ease or Christianese type language that we hear so often in our uh, evangelical pop American evangelical world that we're going to live this Christian life and great things are going to happen. Well. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? How how on earth do I live this Christian life? And then what great things are going to happen? How do I d- define and understand what is great and what is not? Um, and so if we really pull that back and understand, that's extremely confusing. Um, and so I think what Sean is pointing out here in the catechism is to live this Christian life. We have those table of duties. I mean, my goodness, this is just beautiful. We, we understand our stations in life. I understand that we are uh, members of Christ's church. We understand that we're citizens in this world. We understand that we're fathers and, and, and husbands and, and uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, Ford dealership parts salesmen. You know, we, we have these vocations that we serve in, that we walk daily in our table of duties and our service to one another. And then we have our daily prayers that we wake up in the morning and we pray uh, the Lord would keep us and bless us and preserve us throughout the day. And then we have these wonderful divine services where we are given these gifts. So what are the great things going to happen? I'm hoping this pastor was referencing the great things being uh, the absolution. Uh, the great things are going to happen is going to be, you're going to re- constantly receive the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Those are the great things and that we will be preserved in the Christian church and ultimately when we die taken unto jesus i hope that's the great things now unfortunately i don't think that's exactly what he was referencing um which maybe sometime down the road if i get a chance i can ask him about these great things but but again uh there's a very much a um hmm, do i dare use the word organic an organic a very earthly uh earthy um feel to the catechism where it just it fleshes this out you know how do i know that i'm saved um, I don't have to dig around in my prayers or my decision. I know that I'm saved because I'm baptized. Um, 
you know, I may doubt my, my, my position in this world. No, wait a minute. I'm absolved. I'm forgiven. Um, and then how do I know I'm a part of Christ's church? Well, I'm partaking of this wonderful supper. And then what? Well, I live this life in the table of duties and my vocation. And so it's a very, very um, fleshed out uh, theology that we see. And so when you omit the second half of the catechism and you omit uh, what Sean is referencing, like the table of duties and so forth, and you're left with the first three, as, as good as they are, uh, we're really not defining that. And I've heard it said before that if we don't uh, have the sacraments, we invent our own. And I'm not sure which professor said that, but it was a while back I heard a professor say that once, uh, that that if we don't have the sacraments, we make up our own sacraments because there has to be a sense where our theology hits the ground uh, in the practical sense. And that's what the second half of the catechism does. Amen. Every pastor wants to get this great news of Jesus Christ home to their hearers. I, I, that's why we're not saying anybody's doing it out of malice. I, look, even the evangelicals are doing that, and, and they have their way. But their way is a sales pitch. You know, Their way is to, how do I get this inanimate thing to become an exciting thing? I got to really sell it to a person. Uh, I mean, that's a little crass, but, uh, but, but, but all those sales mechanisms are sacraments of sorts trying to make make this get delivered um see the the luther's catechism is so great that core foundational teaching that pastor richard's talking about is is right uh you know luther has it faith in there when he when he talks about you know jesus christ is my lord and, and what he's done for me and and even as the christian life probably laid out there i'm going to live in his kingdom serve him in everlasting righteousness innocence and blessedness that's his innocence and blessedness or the third article right which 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 dashes uh decision theology to pieces but then talks about how the holy spirit is at work to gather and enlighten and yet there's a way in which we can overlook that aspect and then still think, well, I got to sell this gospel. I got to present this information excitedly. I got to find some way to drive this information home, which is that what leads people to, to abandon the liturgy, to downgrade the sacraments because they think those things aren't effective. They don't realize they're the Holy Spirit's own means. What's fantastic in Luther's explanation in the second parts is you get some of the most clearest explanations of the real doctrines we thought we were after in there that you don't actually find in the first one. Where do you find justification by grace through faith in the catechism? I think you find it in the Lord's Supper when it teaches about what for you means. And, and anybody who believes the Lord's promises has exactly what they say, the forgiveness of sins. And where there's forgiveness of sins, life and salvation open up. And and, and the words for you mean every single person can take this to their heart. The, Jesus is hitting the rubber of our hearts with his promises, with his gifts, with his sacraments. Um, and again, what are we saying? We need to recite the catechism in church. The Christian church has never done that before. It's kind of a new idea to do that. Um, no, but, but the catechism lays out what the liturgy already has. Uh, and what the life of the church in its thinking is, and where those the second half and and then also the addendum, the the three parts at the end, where those are missing, we're left with something that we can ignore, even Luther's kernel of the of of the life in the first parts, so that we so that we treat it like mere information. And you know, I don't think that leads us to be Roman Catholic in our tendencies by any means. 
but it does lead us into the idea that the Protestants have where the word of God ultimately is not effective. It does not do anything. Even the message of the gospel is in a sense history that has to be accepted uh, you know, or a plan of life that has to be enacted. And, that, and that's what following Jesus ends up meaning. It, 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 it overlooks faith as quickly as possible so it can get onto these works and, and works that are never in the stations in life that the Bible itself lays out, which is all the table of duties is, Bible quotes. Now, Matt, you mentioned that one of your professors said that if we ignore the actual biblical sacraments, we will create and erect our own. Where do you see this happening within the Missouri Synod? And what I mean by that is, even though our Missouri Synod compatriots are not rejecting the actual biblical sacraments, but they've downgraded and made them sort of an add-on by omission or by de-emphasis, what are they putting in its place? Yeah, extremely, extremely good question. Um, what are they putting in their place? Well, here's the reality. I mean, every generation can do this, and it's it's so incredibly easy. Well, I mean, if you look at the three, okay, so the second half of the uh, catechism, you have baptism, absolution, and communion. Uh, baptism, I, I traditionally understand, you know, when I emphasize it to, to my youth and confirmation is, this is our baptismal identity. It's who we are. It's our identity. And, and way too often... Um, we, we create all these identities and sometimes we'll even do this where our identity is tied up in the local church, you know, and, and so, and I, I'm all for good branding of a church and, and, and good marketing of a church to, to make people aware of the church. But oftentimes, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see this, not necessarily even with the, you know, Lutheran churches, but it does happen where you'll see individuals going around, they have all the bumper stickers for their local church and, and their identity is tied up in that uh, branding of their local church. Well, I'm like, yeah, I understand you're proud about your church, but your your identity is the one of the baptized. Um, and so we can go down this road anywhere uh, we, we replace our baptism identity with something else, maybe even such as the church itself, the branding of the church or, um, you know, and so forth. Well, now, maybe you can help me out on this, Sean. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe grabbing a little bit here how this uh, plays out. Is it, is it that, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to cover all the myriad of things that people substitute but 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 what we're noticing from from the catechism is you can the easier thing to identify is what's missing uh if if the true sacraments are missing i mean there's no end to what the human heart will will manufacture to replace it uh or what kind of excitement we'll use to try and drive things home i, I mean i do think that's the motivation of 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 those who are who are downgrading in our in our estimation is they're trying to find a new and innovative way to to get the message home to to create faith to sustain faith and to to prompt good works our assertion and, and the catechism's assertion is that's what the holy spirit does by his means of grace uh, so uh, whatever it is so in terms of what you were talking about before Perhaps it comes in sort of the general categories of what is my identity? How do I know that? Whereas the catechism places that within the sacraments of the church, the means by which the Holy Spirit not only incorporates us into the body of Christ, but maintains us in that body, is now placed in something else. And is it a work of our own? Or, or maybe it's not an or. Maybe it's also an and, a work of the community of believers itself. 
Yeah, you know, I, I can speak on this from uh, my pre uh, time in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You know, if you were to ask me, say, well, you know, Matt, what's your identity? How do you know you're saved? Uh, using that language, I would say, well, it's because of a decision that I made. It was uh, because of my dedication uh, towards the Lord. Uh, so that would cover the baptismal understanding. And then I would say, well, how do you know you're constantly forgiven? Well, I'm constantly forgiven because I'm giving my best towards God. And, and I'm displaying that through my love towards my neighbor and towards the Lord God. And I'm striving to have that faith. So therefore, uh, the fruit of my faith is evidence that I'm actually forgiven. Uh, and then as far as being a part of Christ's body, which we would say that's uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, partaking of that, uh, the Lord's Supper to being in his church, I would say that I'm a part of his church because I believe in the ethos of the church. I'm a member of the body. I'm, I'm, I'm working towards uh, the goals of the church, the mission and vision statement of the church. Uh, and so I'm fulfilling that. So therefore, since I'm you know, walking in, in line with that mission and vision, therefore I'm a part of this community itself. And so... Again, as, as Sean mentioned just briefly here before, you know, the, the emphasis is not necessarily what's being replaced. Um, you know, again, we can, we can, if we get rid of the baptism, absolution, and communion, we get rid of these sacraments, the, 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 the list is endless what we can replace it with. Um, you know, we can, we can do decision theology, we can do prayer cards, we can do altar calls. I mean, this is all back to Charles Finney, all the different things that he replaced in the spot of these sacraments. Uh, but the fact remains for us, I would say, it's when we see that second half of the catechism uh, diminished or downgraded or going missing, uh, then we need to wave the red flags right away uh, out of concern, saying, you know, what what on earth are we doing? Uh, losing or de-emphasizing or downgrading these precious, wonderful gifts that the Lord gives to us. I mean, these are his gifts, his means that he gives to us so that we might know with certainty that we're forgiven, to know that we are, are branded with the sign of the cross upon our head and our heart, marked as one of the redeemed, uh, taken out of darkness, put into the light, uh, to know who we are in Christ, uh, to feast upon his body and blood, to be a part of his church. Uh, these are wonderful gifts. And when we see him de-emphasized, uh, I think as, as, as Lutherans, as Christians, we should just be saying, what are you doing? Lord have mercy. These are wonderful gifts. Why are you leaving them? Uh, because the alternative is some sort of concoction of mankind. And uh, they're definitely not means of grace, but they're means of works. And when you have a means of works where we are climbing and huffing and puffing towards God to get the, these gifts, well, then there's no assurance whatsoever. You said it. Matt and I have been, been talk, tossing this back and forth a little bit as as we have been kind of in our situation uh, in our churches, and we're both North Dakota, so we're, so we're close to each other. Uh, how do we explain to people that there are differences? How do we help them diagnose what is the difference and why does it matter? Especially when they look at it and say, look, aren't we all Lutheran? Don't we all, aren't we all part of the same synod? Don't we all agree to the same things? And it's to some degree, yes, uh, we do. And especially when it comes to small catechism, that's one of the simplest things. All pastors and all lay people have, have said, this is, this is the true teaching of the scriptures. Um, so, how can we use that tool to understand or to try and grasp where maybe Lutheranism is being downgraded or something's being missing? And I, and I think it's to look for the presence of all of the parts being forward. Um, uh, the way Matt just laid out the gospel so beautifully to us and, and gave us a desire by his words to seek out these gifts of the Lord. That's how it ought to sound. So what's the hesitancy to talking like Matt did? 
I think the hesitancy is, uh, sadly, maybe we don't believe these things really are the the, the truth. Uh, Lord, have mercy on us. But also that we would be afraid maybe ecumenically. Matt, you mentioned this in your article so nicely. I mean, there's we look around and we see that not everybody talks about the Lord's Supper very much at all. Uh, it's a very minor part of their confession, in addition to being a differently understood than we have. So that leads us to then say, well, that's not the heart of the faith. That's not really important. Uh, but the catechism lays it out that it is. You know, That's why it, it doesn't take long when it's talking about sin, uh, deserving eternal wrath and punishment. Yet I hope in Christ. Christ has done, has shed his blood for me on the cross, right? And instantly we're saying, how do you know that? The sacrament itself is a preaching of that. The words of institution preach it. That's the gospel in the nutshell that we could hand to anybody. And the gift itself delivers it. And 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 you're into all the 20 questions from Luther. You know, a funny little story here. Uh, thinking about this, I remember uh, once upon a time, this is before uh, my colloquies, my wife and I were at a uh, LCMS church and it was, uh, the text was on the baptism of Jesus. So it was uh, 594, God's own child, I gladly say. It's the first time we ever heard that hymn. And my wife and I were sitting in the pew, and they had the children come up uh, uh, to, uh, at the end of the service. Uh, they had uh, some sort of uh, thing for the remembrance of their baptism, and uh, Sunday school was on baptism. And I remember during the Sunday school time, my wife just started bawling, just crying, and, and everyone's kind of looking at her, and I'm looking at her, and she's just like, this baptism that we have is such great news. And it was just so exciting that, you know, man, we're in a church that's talking about baptism. It's just amazing that that we're plucked out of darkness into the light and that that he put his name upon us. And this is our identity. Uh, it's just it's just profound. And, and both my wife and I were just with joy. And we looked at everybody around us and like, well, yeah, it's just baptism. You know, and I think there needs to be a rediscovery all the time uh, for us to always come back to just realize these gifts that we have right before us and 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 to not become dull with the old Adam, the sinful nature, become dull with these gifts that we have. We have, but they're, they're profound gifts that we have, uh, that this baptism, baptism is a baptism of reality. And then, and I remember one time too, uh, uh, going to an LCMS church service and they didn't have absolution and both my wife and I, we both came unglued. It's like, man, we Where's the forgiveness? We need to hear this. Uh, and we, we were borderline irate. Uh, and, and my wife went and talked to the pastor. It's like, where, where's the absolution at? My goodness, this this is a gift. Why are you withholding gifts from us? Uh, you know, if we can have the assurance from these gifts, why on earth would you omit them? Uh, and so, again, that's that's the, the the compelling nature of the second half of the, 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 the catechism, that they're not a detriment to the faith. They are actually gifts. They are They're the reason why. In my humble opinion, they're the reason why we have such a beautiful, wonderful theology is that we have something that other churches don't have. We have the gifts of the Lord's word and sacraments given and delivered right into our ears, upon our head, into our mouths, into our bellies, to know that we are forgiven for Christ's sake. And 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 not every other church has these wonderful gifts. And then and even more to see these gifts uh, every single Sunday consistently in our divine service, uh, day in and day out, no matter how crazy my week has gone, no matter how bad things have gone, that I know for certainty I can go to church and I can hear for Christ's sake from my pastor that my sins are forgiven, to be reminded of my baptism, 
And then in spite of all my failures as a husband, as a father in my workplace, uh, to have the body and blood of Christ laid upon my my tongue and into my belly to know that I am absolutely 100% forgiven and part of Christ's church. I mean, so again, that comes back to what Sean was saying. Do we see these as wonderful um, strengths, if you will, strengths of our church, uh, blessings of our church, uh, a, a, a niche, if you will, or do we see them as detrimental? And, and I think that's a fundamental different theology at work if we see them as detrimental. Idiosyncratic. Yeah, this, the sin of our age seems to be a boredom with what God has revealed. And it sounds like what you're talking about here is not just that the sacraments, the absolution, is the place where the rubber hits the road in terms of God's delivery of his gifts to us, but also in terms of that which, as St. Paul talks about in Ephesians and in Colossians, the very things that keep us rooted and grounded in his love, so that we aren't like free radicals spinning about in the ether, but rather standing firm and firmly upon his word and promises so that we are properly oriented in our lives. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Matt and I are operating with, I definitely teach it this way in catechism class as a shorthand to try and remember the six chief parts, right? We have three parts on the word, three parts on the sacraments, right? Then of course, somebody jumps in and says, well, wait a minute, right? What about absolution? Is that exact? I, how many sacraments are there, which we don't care as Lutherans? Um, you know, but the, the, they're right about the difficulty, the, the, especially when you consider just the office of the ministry part, it's the word of God that's at the center of it, right? Or if you consider the third part of the creed, you have baptism and the sacraments already there in the life of the Christian church. So of course, this is somewhat of a pedagogical distinction, but um you know, I think that is marvelous now. The Word of God itself is what we care about because our understanding as Lutherans of the Word of God is distinct uh, from others. We do not think it's empty information. We do not think it's just mere history. We certainly don't think it's historically conditioned, you know, the the mausoleum of of faith consciousness that once existed in the past, but but now we need to build on those models and develop into something new. We believe it is the very living voice of God that is active and effect, efficacious and does things in us. And that shows up, the catechism laid out, lays out a life where in sacraments and in word, God is interacting with us constantly He's rebuking us. He's correcting us. He's showing us what ought to be done. He's he's giving us the forgiveness of sins and and sanctifying us by His Word, um, which you know I think at at the background of this, Matt and I are definitely concerned as Godestines is about the liturgical service of the Lutheran Church in our heritage being lost or being cast aside. And to some people, it looks like maybe maybe even those who are concerned, you know, what's the difference between all these pastors? Don't they all believe the same thing is you just care about the form or the style or or the liturgy or you're mad because it's not the way you used to have it. That's uh, maybe that maybe our sinful hearts are always prone to things like that. But but what is treasured about the liturgy is that it does the very same thing the catechism lays out in its instructional parts and in its meditation parts and in its our catechism is meant to be confessed. Our Augsburg confession isn't like the 39 article articles or the, uh, you know, or the Pope who sits in Rome, but you don't actually get to talk to him. 
Our confession is a living, breathing thing that's allowed to be spoken, that you you can take yourself and confess. You can share it with your neighbor. It's it is the tract and it and it does show the worship and it and it and it does lay out a Christian life of devotion as well as good works. Um you know, why do we love the liturgy so much? Because it really does put God's word and his gifts forward in a way that other churches don't have. I, I was, I've continually been shocked to, to realize how little or how, how much I take for granted our liturgical worship and how much the word of God is everywhere in it. We just don't realize that most Protestants don't hear any lections. They do not hear a chunk of the Bible read so we all listen to it in church. That's just not part of what they do. Maybe the pastor will go verse by verse through it in his long sermon, but they don't hear the word of God spoken. They certainly don't take up the word of God directly as we do in the Psalms. And uh, I mean, it's up to you to judge whether their hymns and their praise songs are biblical or not. Uh, Everyone is able to do that, but all of it adds up to this bottom line. There is more of the word of God interacting with us in our services then you'll find in other places. And it is interesting that the Lutheran downgrade that Matt has observed, where the sacraments in the, in the last three parts of the catechism, or maybe the last six parts of the catechism are downgraded and downplayed, are also the places that seem to want to imitate those churches that have less of the word of God than we do. And, and I, I think it's because they don't, be, I think it's because they're struggling to believe that the word of God itself is the living and active, efficacious, thing in the service. Yeah, that's... Uh, Maybe that's too strong an accusation, uh, but but help me with that. Well, I don't know if it's too strong, but if that is the case, then it's not just a de-emphasis. It is a rejection. I believe help my unbelief. Uh, I mean, every, every pastor is subject to this. We don't say these things to, to, to poo-poo other people and say, man, you really stink. We say these things because we know our own hearts too. Sure. Um, it is always the, look, youth ministry is probably the place where this plays out the most. Um, and it's my great temptation to think that the way to reach the youth is by all sorts of substitutes. And all of those things often keep me from or delay the speaking of the word of God, the praying with my, with and for my youth, the the leading them to the sacraments and to a greater appreciation and love and delight and and hunger for them, uh, and what Pastor Richard said so eloquently about uh, the confidence that holy baptism gives for us in this world that is assaulting us and. I don't think any of the old people in their complaints are wrong. Kids have it rough today. Maybe they always did, but they definitely have it rough now. And guess what they need? They need absolution. They need a private place to confess to their pastor and not blab it on the internet. They need something that touches their body and heals them when they have scars on their arms. They need something that says, don't look for your identity and whatever you discover for yourself. Here's what God has made you. And, uh, if I have one objection to Luther's table of duties is that it doesn't start with male and female because, but who could have imagined that that was something we would need in our day? Uh, it's still there in husband and wife. It's still there in the explanation of who we are. And, uh, and, uh, maybe it's the 10th commandment that really gives it to us. So all of this to say, uh, 
our accusations of if our bro- if we're noticing something about our brothers, it's not something we're keeping to ourselves, and it's also not something we're saying you have a problem that we don't. We all do, but the catechism is a marvelous uh, check for ourselves. And I don't want it to stay there because that's how it becomes like the 39 articles or the Pope, where it's just there to yell at you when you did something wrong. What a horrible way to treat the catechism. It should rather be a delightful source of our confession. And that's what Lutheranism, that's uh, that's our identity is a confessional church, one that is speaking the word of God and is living from this doctrine so that it isn't academic, but it is what we're abiding in for discipleship for life. So then how do we approach these kind of conversations when we see those things, this downgrade, I should say, taking place in and among the brothers in our circuits and districts? Well, I, I think this is, is, this is very, very telling what Sean has just said. And, and, and the reality is, is to this is, is that when we look at the church, I think there's no doubt about in America right now, the church is struggling. I think uh, you look across the board, uh, churches are struggling to meet budget and so forth. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is that uh, you mentioned this earlier here, Sean, about, you know, um, uh, with the word of God. I think I think we trust the word of God, but we don't trust it alone, right? And and, and so what ends up happening is it's easy to get a crowd. I've told, I've told people, uh, you know, in my previous church, and I've also said at St. Paul's, that if we want to raise a crowd, we want to pack this place. It's relatively easy to do. Uh, I mean, it really is. You, people are always in for a good show. And, and if you have the right amount of marketing, the right amount of enthusiasm, the right amount of tricks, uh, you can pack a place quite easily. I mean, uh, it, it really is that not that hard to do. And especially like, I, I think with my kids, you know, I'm gonna pick on my kids. If I say to my kids, you know, we have uh, two options for food today. We're going to go to McDonald's. And, and again, I'm not trying to be crass when I say this, but I said, if you want to go to McDonald's or do you want to go and uh, maybe go to a Panera bread and have a salad and some, you know, soup there, uh, they're going to scream McDonald's. And to be honest with you, I do too. I mean, I want the Big Mac. I want to have the French fries. I want the I want the drink. And we want to go. Pl- I want to see the kids play in the uh, the uh, the the play the play uh, the, the trap of death that they have. <laughs> you know the the play the playground stuff that they have at at McDonald's. And and there's a tendency for all of us to just jump at those things that immediately. Uh, satisfy, and then that's with all of us. Uh, but that which is is immediately satisfaction for us is not always what's healthy for us. And so the temptation for every church is to give in to signs and gimmicks and so forth to attract that crowd. Uh, because I think, frankly, deep down, I think many of us are worried uh, with the church. Uh, you know, will we be "quote unquote" relevant in society? Uh, what happens as our culture becomes more and more pagan? Do we have a place in this marketplace? Uh, will the doors of the church stay open? Uh, will I have a paycheck? Will I have a pension as a pastor? And so, uh, it's very, very easy to want to, uh, you know, fix that through other means. And when, you know, preaching the second half and teaching the second half of the catechism, when that doesn't yield the results that we want, uh, we can easily become discouraged and lacking faith and move to other means uh, in order to get those pews filled. How much of this too is, well, I, I suppose you've covered it by saying that we believe in the power of God's word, but not solely. When the goal is, as you said, to get a crowd, but even when 
we have perhaps more noble sites, which is just to make Christians or to make sure we find believers. How much is that kind of leading into it as well? I think our our marketing understanding of the of the church is has been profoundly harmful to us and and it is what has made us look for customers or made us look for members or made us look for uh, converts or worshipers uh, rather than disciples. Everybody's talking about discipleship these days. It's like the buzzword like church was in the 1900s. But most people use it as a verb, like I'm going to go disciple. It's just Amway. And I'm from, I have some Grand Rapids roots now. It's just Amway. It's just a pyramid scheme. Um, and the trouble is, I think the, the current generation, my generation and younger uh, of children, they, uh, they know what it is to be sold junk. And they know what it is to be sold um, a lifestyle of junk, <laughs> you know, a lifestyle of, of reselling. Uh, I'm not convinced that's even a viable strategy for getting the crowd anymore. But it certainly is not a biblical understanding of what the gospel is uh, or the way the church works. Um, so that's that's incredibly harmful, and, and I don't know if we can even estimate how harmful it's been. I do think part of the antidote, what I would like to encourage my brothers to see, is the strength of our teaching, uh, is, to, is to pull out the catechism, and by extension for those pastors, the confessions, and see them not as sterile uh, dogmas and sterile books that, that are always there to kind of slap them on the wrist and say, you're going too far. Um, but they are the life themselves, that, that the word of God is what we're abiding in, that we're leading others into the life that the catechism describes and that the catechism is. Um, many people have observed that our catechism is so different than those of other church bodies because it can be prayed. Because Luther can't go a couple sentences without bursting in, interrupting his own explanation by saying, help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. I mean, there's prayers everywhere in these catechisms. And and they they preach as well. Um, so Luther in his catechism, that's very meta. There's a word that people like today. It, it is. Um, and and it I think it unveils a life that is the, the Lutheran life that as, as pastor Whedon said, our goal is to say, come and see, come and hear, come and listen to Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, come and come and even experience him, which is a word I think Lutherans are hesitant to use and for right reasons. But that word can be accurate if what we're experiencing is his word and his gifts as he's given them to us, his law even as he's given it to us, but all for the forgiveness of sins, so that now we are, uh, just as he says, abiding in his word. Any final thoughts, Matt? Well, uh, again, you know, looking at this, understand this Lutheran downgrade, um, the second half of the catechism, uh, I echo what Sean has said, that these are wonderful gifts. They're not some sort of... um, how do we say it? Some sort of a, a way of, of chastisement towards our theology uh, that they're not like, uh, you know, you must baptize and absolve and communion to stay within the fence of, of our theology. No, this is these are gifts. My goodness, these are wonderful gifts. Uh, we baptize because it's our identity and the Lord has placed his name upon us. It's who we are as the baptized. We absolve because 
my goodness, uh, we have such an accusing world that accuses everything, uh, everyone and everyone and everything. And so we are a place where people come to hear absolution, uh, that we are forgiven uh, for Christ's sake. And then the Lord's Supper, man, where we come for be, come forward beating our chest to receive the gifts the Lord has. I mean, these are wonderful gifts. And so um, I would say that we extol and, and we, we uplift and we we, we, we jump for joy for the second half of the catechism, not because they are non-essential Lutheran distinctives, uh, but because they are essential distinctives that we embrace along with the first half of the catechism, uh, that we embrace all six chief parts as well as uh, the table of duties and so forth, and the whole catechism that these are gifts for all of us. Uh, so we commend them to one another, we celebrate them, we rejoice in them, and we preach and teach them uh, to everyone who has ears. With that, thank you guys uh, for your time and really for thinking about these things so deeply and, and helping us as we are servants of Christ, as his called and ordained servants, to think these things through in our own preaching and teaching to make sure that we don't use the catechism as a bludgeon, but that we do use it and use it completely and fully as it was intended to be used. So thank you again for your time and your insights. And I look forward to perhaps talking to you guys again. Yeah, thank you. God be praised. You're very welcome.